Chapter 18 of Pollyanna's Jewels. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Loomis Smith, An Envious Woman. Serious illness in a family transforms the usual routine overnight, as if some magician had cast an evil spell on the day and its duties. The things that had loomed large on Pollyanna's program, regular meals, clean napkins, spotless dresses for the baby, the daily sweeping and dusting, all in a moment ceased to count. It did not matter that Judy's little hands were grimy, that dinner was an hour late, that a gray canopy of dust hid the gleaming mahogany of the piano. Junior had become the center of the household activities, and matters which only yesterday had been of dominating importance had suddenly dropped out of sight. Their efforts to secure a nurse had been unsuccessful. The epidemic was ahead of them, and the available nurses had been requisitioned before they put in their claim. In her secret heart, Pollyanna was not sorry. It would not have been possible for her to yield to another woman her place at Junior's bedside, and their failure to secure a nurse saved her the trouble of demonstrating that she did not need one. Like many a woman before her, and many who will come after, Pollyanna found herself lifted by the emergency above the limitations of her everyday self. The crisis had given her access to some reservoir of energy on which she could now draw at will. She slept little, and yet she did not feel the need of sleep. She ate from a sense of duty, but she had no desire for food. Paler than usual and quieter, steady of voice and dry-eyed, she went through the twenty-four hours like a creature of steel and electricity. "'I don't know how she's going to stand it if the boy doesn't pull through,' Jimmy said to Mrs. McGill. Jimmy himself was worn and haggard, and his neighbor noticed his shaking hand as he stroked the baby's thatch of hair. "'She's so quiet and self-controlled that it might deceive anyone who doesn't know her as I do. But underneath that calm of hers?' "'Yes, of course.' Mrs. McGill murmured. The women whose tears come easily are the lucky ones. She added gently, You mustn't be too anxious about her. If the worst comes, she's a woman of great strength of character, and besides, she has two other children. They don't seem to count now, Jimmy answered drearily, any more than I do. She hears the baby crying, and she doesn't even ask me what ails her. He spoke without bitterness, but his sigh betrayed the heaviness of his heart. She's giving all there is of her to Junior, Mrs. McGill comforted him. If anything was wrong with either of the others, you'd find they meant just as much to her as the boy does. In this emergency in the Pendleton household, Mrs. McGill had stepped into the breach as if she had been a sister, or at least a friend of many years standing. For obvious reasons, Sadie could not come to Pollyanna's assistance. Aunt Polly was in Florida, and Aunt Ruth was ill. Accordingly, Mrs. McGill locked the door of her own house shortly after breakfast, and devoted her day to aiding her stricken neighbors. By the time Junior had surpassed Arthur Hunt's enviable record, he was too sick to care, and so lost forever the opportunity of exulting over his defeated rival. In his first day or two of fever, he talked unceasingly. If I had a nice white flower, he told his mother, I'd press it and send it up to God. I'd write a piece of paper, 
From Junior Pendleton, with love. He'd like that, wouldn't he? Very much, said Pollyanna steadily. I guess I'd have to get a bird to carry it up, Junior prattled on. Or maybe if birds don't fly high enough, would the angels be too busy, Mother, to bother with an errand for a little boy? Pollyanna said she thought not, but without waiting for her assurance, Junior was off on another track, his voice hoarse and unnatural. God likes it when I'm good, doesn't he, Mother? And I make him sorry when I'm bad. Pollyanna murmured something in the way of assent. I'm bad a lot, and Jack Horner, he's worse than me, and so's Arthur Hunt. But George Bailey, he's the baddest boy you ever see. Say, Mother, why don't God stop making bad little boys? After the second day, there was no more of this verbal dreaming. Junior was lethargic, rousing with difficulty to drink his milk or take his medicine. Jimmy, tiptoeing into the room the moment he reached home after his day's work, looked down on the unresponsive little face his own twitching with anguish. Outside, beneath the window, Jiggs paced restlessly up and down, whining unhappily as if he understood something of the battle that was being waged in the forbidden room upstairs. And Pollyanna, deft and competent and quiet, watched her firstborn with dry, burning eyes. There came a morning when Junior could not be roused to take his medicine, but lay inert in his mother's arms. The tired doctor, coming in soon after breakfast, said he would look in again at noon, and after the second visit, as he went downstairs, he motioned to Mrs. McGill to follow him into the living room. If the little fellow upstairs regains consciousness and seems normal, he has a fighting chance for life, but the probability is that he will never come out of this stupor. Mrs. McGill shivered uncontrollably, and the doctor pulled nervously at his stubby beard. I'm worried about the mother. She's too quiet. Something is likely to break if she keeps this up. I thought possibly you might do something. Am I God to kill and make alive? Mrs. McGill quoted bitterly. Nothing can help her but the boy's recovery. A fit of crying would do her good, the doctor said. I'm never worried about those patients who raise the roof. The louder they howl, the less I worry. But the little woman upstairs, well, do what you can for her. Half an hour later, Mrs. McGill went up to the sick room. She tapped lightly at the door, even though she knew that she could have pounded without disturbing the sick child, and entered noiselessly. Pollyanna turned and looked up, and at once, by her look of terror, Mrs. McGill realized that her own face had betrayed her. She went quickly to her friend and knelt down beside her. Pollyanna's gaze was fixed on Junior. She sat rigid and the hand Mrs. McGill clasped in both of hers was icy cold. Pollyanna, she said, using that name for the first time. You don't know how I've envied you for the last week. The unexpectedness of it caught Pollyanna's attention. She turned on the other woman a look of bewilderment. This last week? She repeated, little incredulous pauses between the words. You've envied me? Yes, dear. How old is Junior? He'll be six. Oh! Pollyanna broke off, putting her hand to her heart, as if some unspoken thought had stabbed her. You hurt me, she whispered, her lips gray. You've had him now almost six years. Why shouldn't I envy you, Pollyanna? Why, I'd give half of my life for those six years of love and laughter and pain and hope and planning. 
You have those six years to remember and live over when you're old and feeble and the present doesn't mean much anymore. And what have I? Her voice rose in a cry. Emptiness! Emptiness! Childless women haven't such an easy time as others think. Years ago I read some lines a man had written and I said to myself that some woman must have told him how it felt. Don't you remember? How sad or far am I who have no child to die? Pollyanna's face underwent a number of changes as she listened. Oh, it's true, it's true, she whispered. I can be glad I had him, if only six years. And then all at once the merciful tears were running down her cheeks. She sobbed uncontrollably, and Mrs. McGill, throwing her arms about her, sobbed against her heart. For a long time the two wept together, neither moving, and Pollyanna, her handkerchief pressed to her streaming eyes, did not see that Junior's eyes had opened. And so when a cracked, feeble little voice broke the stillness, her heart almost stopped. Mother, Junior said faintly but distinctly, where's Jiggs? End of chapter 18